Drax is the largest provider of renewable electricity in the UK and plays a critical role in ensuring a secure energy system. The company has plans to invest billions in new infrastructure, such as bioenergy with carbon capture and storage, which will create thousands of jobs, whilst also delivering the energy needed by homes and businesses up and down the UK. Discover more at Drax.com. Hello and welcome to Coffee House Shots, the Spectator's daily politics podcast. I'm Isabel Hardman and I'm with Katie Balls in Manchester at the Conservative Conference. Katie, the question that everyone asks at conferences is, how's the mood? Well, I think as you've pointed out, Isabel, I think initially at least the mood, um, we were speaking on Monday morning, but on Sunday was just quite muted, quite quiet. I actually haven't got that sense of pure despair that perhaps wafted my way this time last year in the conference halls. But it does feel a little bit flat, for sure. And I think, you know, if you look at James Cleverly's speech yesterday, the fact that the hall was about a third empty, you know, lots of people are arriving on a Sunday. So I think it's interesting to see if it's any more. Though I suppose every year, I think, you know, you see these pieces of which I've written um, saying, you know, the action's actually on the fringes, it's not in the halls. So it's not always the best indicator but I I think it just has felt a little bit lacking in energy and then the question I think is you know can Rishi Sunak use it this conference as you know his reset though they hate to use the word moment because last night you had the conservative democratic organization dinner where you had uh you know some anti-Rishi figures I think it's safe to say so Peter Craddis saying you know donors shouldn't give to the Tories and then you I think lots of you know we love Boris um t-shirts and so forth um there for for the many and then today you have Liz Truss arriving at conference where she'll be speaking at the growth rally alongside um Priti Patel, Jacob Rees-Mogg and more and does that mean it starts to feel a bit chaotic or actually do these people make very little impact and almost take from it that you know no one's actually interested in the psychodrama right now so I suppose that I mean I think today we quite get indicated to of where the grassroots are mm. it doesn't feel like a party that is relentlessly focused on winning does it it's not like I mean actually you know we haven't had Labour conference yet which is unusual because normally Tory is the the, the crowning glory of conference season um, but Labour is next week but I, I think when we talk to Labour people in Westminster, they are really, really desperate to win to the extent that they are quite happy to discard differences, to try to deal with problems internally as opposed to, you know, it doesn't always succeed, but as opposed to having a fight in the open. And I was really struck by, if you read our coverage of, of the, the dinner with Peter Crudus that Katie mentions uh, on Coffee House, there's a quote where, he talks about winning isn't the only thing. Our principle as a party is important too. And that just reminded me so much of the Corbyn years where you had Labour activists saying, you know, we, we've got to stand for something. We've got to stay by our principles. And at the first conference where Jeremy Corbyn was leader, he gave this long spiel about a football team with lots of supporters, but didn't actually mention whether they ever win, won any games. Um, and so I sort of wonder whether the Tory party is going into that space where a lot of its members, a lot of its MPs think they're going to lose. They're starting to almost look forward to opposition. And, you know, parties do, I think, yearn for opposition. They never want opposition to go on for as long as it often does, but they want that period of renewal. And, and so that's why they're all behaving pretty weirdly. But I, I should say just one caveat is that Katie and I, we've, we've been doing these conferences for a long time now, very, very long. 
and every I always love every minute of every them. minute um the um the story at Tory conference is always partly about splits because that's the kind of DNA of the Tory party they like they like arguing you know they like to air their opinions in public they're not great at sort of discipline but what they are great at is coming together and being a winning machine normally and there's no signs of that kind of movement yet I think what's interesting is probably the juxtaposition of what you're talking about as well, which is you definitely see from even some MPs who should technically be on message. Um, so you've got well, including those... <laughs> the Home Secretary potentially. Oh, so you've got those who are just being anti. Then you've got those who just, as you say, do not seem to really perhaps believe they have a chance of turning things around. But then I do think you have a block, which is probably your hardcore Rishi block, that actually keeps the faith and. Uh, and I think probably the pool is quite small, but those who do feel it, feel it very strongly. So it's one of those strange things where you can walk around talking to MPs, even government advisors, and then perhaps you meet an ultra Rishi Sunak loyalist. And they'll just be like, well, you know, this, uh, look at that poll, it's down to 10 points. An outlier, <laughs> I think it's worth pointing out, there's even more there is, you know, if we just stay calm, if we can get by the end of the year, consistent, you know, the leaders, the Labour leaders just down to 10 points, they think you can start whittling away in an election campaign, you, you know, where's that going to take you? And therefore, can he use, I think, probably the pep in the, his step that Rishi Sunak appears to have got from diluting that zero uh, in the sense that... You make you know, it sound like an energy drink. <laughs> well, he did see... I, I, I don't know you thought it was, but I thought on the Laura Koonsberg show, I mean, it was tetchy, but he also did seem to have fight in him. Yeah. So when when I speak to MPs who are, I suppose, trying to find upset at the moment, there are plenty of MPs I've spoken to who don't actually like the fact that um, he has delayed, for example, the car ban. Okay, they worry about how it's going to play in their seat. But they say, but you know what? I like that he seems like he cares about something yeah. and he's got some energy to go and fight. So I think if you, you see a lot more of that in the speech on Wednesday, it could still be a galvanising moment. That is if all the antics last night and today don't just, you know, add to this sense of the Tories as, you know, a walking, you know, chaos show. Yeah, I think there's sort of, um, I mean, we've obviously in previous years have physical manifestations of the party falling apart, such as uh, sets disintegrating during Prime Minister's speeches and so on. And I think that the two speeches that will give you a greater sense of how the party is going to be over the next few months are obviously the prime ministers and the chancellors. And I think they are, when you talk to those who know them, they are the two people who really do believe that there is a window to winning and are upbeat about things. Now, when you talk to lots of Tory MPs, they'll be like, yeah, but it's like one of those windows in a travel lodge where you try and open it and it won't open. So it's a very narrow window at that. Um, But I think what's significant is actually that the rest of the cabinet don't seem to be in this sort of optimistic narrow window space and and lots of them just from their demeanour and the way in which they are quite interested I think in um, uh, their own brands that they don't think they're going to win so I think it'll be interesting to see how for instance Kemi Badenoch uh, uses her speech today Katie you've written about how controlled the uh, the speech writing and vetting um, machine has been but once a minister's on stage, you can't actually stop them talking. Yep, exactly. And I think we've seen before rows, I think Labour conference, there was something about Clive Lewis and what was on the teleprompter, what he said, you know, had things been changed, that people can go rogue. And therefore, the other, I think, undercurrent so far, and obviously we're just only really properly starting the first full day of conference, is, as you point to, Isabel, are cabinet members thinking more about what happens after the election than what they need to do before the election in order to win it? Rishi Sunak's going to try and make them think about what they need to do to win it, try and focus minds. But 
it just is the case when the polls are as they are, even if there's one poll suggesting things are changing, I think it's going to need a lot more to change the mood, that every time, for example, the Foreign Secretary agrees to speak on a fringe, people are just racking up the number and saying, oh, well, they're doing a lot. If you see a cabinet minister talking in, you know, in conversation... Um, a deeply you know, personal interview. Deeply personal and casting their grand views on, you know, on areas which go way outside their brief. Uh, it just starts to be written up as almost a phony leadership contest. And those cabinet ministers know that as well. They, you know, you... I mean, there are lots of stupid people in politics, but but they're not they're not stupid. And if you give a deeply personal interview, you're sending a certain signal about yourself and about the state of the party. And with that, we'll be bringing you more updates uh, later today once we, uh, we've had the chance of speech and so forth. So do join then.